Hey guys, what's going on? You are listening to yet another episode of Creator Speak. This episode in particular, I've been excited about doing for a very long time now. Whenever I first had the inspiration to do this podcast, this man was actually one of the reasons for that. He was a bit of a catalyst for me in a lot of ways in the world of podcasting. Whenever I had first started, he had we had met and come in contact, and he just... He's really shown me a lot, and um, there's there's something that can be said about someone that helps you become a little wiser, too. He's a, he's a great podcaster, uh, good colleague whenever we work together, and an even better friend. Uh, just a wonderful human being. His name is Kevin Zerb, or you may know him as The Zerbinator, if you listen to any of his music or any of his many, many podcasts. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let the conversation speak for itself. It's very interesting. I present to you, Kevin Zoo. Okay, so I'm pretty excited about finally getting the chance to do this, and I want to apologize for putting it off for as long as I have, because... uh, It's better. Huh? What? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, one of the first interviews I wanted to do whenever I started the show was with you, because uh, with your super sensual dulcet tones and whatnot you kind of helped uh (laughs) you were you were like my sherper on the mountain of podcasting and uh just radio internet in general so i I feel like you really deserve a spot on this um why don't you why don't you start kind of by how we got in touch in the first place because it's pretty interesting it's very cool how we got in touch in the first place like we were ferg and i were uh Ferg and I. Mm. Well, let's start with Robert Ferguson. Robert Ferguson and I do a show called Please Stand By. Right. And it's a podcast um, all about nothing and everything all at once. And that was our tagline. And I was goofing around on the web, and I typed in my tagline just to see what was out there. and uh, Or if my show could be, could have been found via my tagline in case people didn't get the name right or something. And uh, your show popped up mm-hmm. under that tagline because you have the same exact tagline. And so I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I gave a listen to it. I loved the show. And I said, I've got to get in touch with this guy and let him know how cool it is that we have the the same, these guys, get that we have the same tagline in our podcast. And your show, of course, was... From here to the void, and it was it was funny, Thank very you. fun. Thank you. Very back, very cool. Uh, and it's some of it. I kept wondering if it was like sketched. It wasn't. It was just you two being yourselves, uh, and it was awesome. And that's how we met. I, I got in touch with you and said, "We've got similar taglines. Can we hang out sometime?" Please, I'm lonely. Please, I'm all by myself. And you said, sure. So we became very good friends. Yeah. Um, what I thought was so interesting, too, after we got in touch and I started listening to your show was not only were you uh, a big podcaster, but you're also a huge musician, which uh, is interesting because it plays a pretty big part in most of your shows, I feel like. Where, where did that kind of start for you? Well, first saying huge musician, I've lost 10 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's something I've been working on. But when I started music, I think I was like two, three years old because my dad sat me down in front of a piano mm-hmm. and said, do this. And I did. And uh, my dad did a lot of uh, teaching in the Navy, he taught music. I had six old people that I loved dearly, um, five of them great aunts and one of them my Grammy. They were all musicians and painters growing up. Uh, my Aunt Grace takes most of the credit because uh, my great Aunt Grace, I should say, these are all my grandmother's sisters, um, she would sit with me and, and sing the next note every single time I would play the piano that I'm supposed to hit, which taught me, I think that's what taught me how to hear the next note. And uh, so I learned how to play by ear. I tried uh, playing, learning music. It just doesn't work for me. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. throws it off. But, uh, yeah, I just always grew up around musicians. My dad would work during the day, uh, leave early in the morning, 
Uh, his job took him all over the world. He did a lot of trips. So when he was gone, I would try learning something he played. And I, my first song that I learned in full was Moonlight Sonata. Uh, and I would impress him when he came home by playing it for him. He's like, ooh, that's good. And uh, anything I did, of course, um, sort of like you millennials nowadays, I was told <laughs> the most amazing. <laughs> I like how you just throw me under the bus. Uh, I'm sorry. No. Uh, but <laughs> I was I was so good at it, uh-huh. which makes you know if I'm good at it, I want to be better than good. So I just kept on trying, and now I'm I'm the most incredible songwriter there is on the planet. That's true. You really are, and that's why I'm so honored <laughs> that you would grace me with your presence today. Oh, I had a little bit of time, and uh. I said. Why not throw a bone to my friend? Yeah, you know? I'm still looking out for the little guy. I appreciate that. No problem. Yes, fame, fame hasn't corrupted you. You're still very humble. I appreciate that. We've this long. I've got to do my hair. <laughs> <laughs> What's left of it? <laughs> but yeah, that's how I started, and I, I owe it to them. I really owe it to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just the the. It's, it was so comfortable because if you messed up, they didn't go, no, no. <laughs> they, would, <laughs> they would sit and help you and play it for you or whatever. And it was always easy. They always made it very easy. So that's how I started out. That's awesome. So you always kind of had the freedom to try different things. And even if they didn't work out, you know, there was still like a good safety net there. I think that's important whenever you're younger, uh, especially. So considering how early it started, when was it exactly that you started to develop um, I guess, like an individual taste for certain uh, genres or aspects? Like, was there one in particular that attracted you? or I always liked, um, like, I listened to Billy Joel when I was a kid, and I thought that was amazing, mm. that, uh, that the way that he played piano. I, I figured out early that he was a bar player, meaning he could do an octave with the left hand and the right hand did most of the big work. Pardon me. Um, the the thing that I loved about that is that it was an easy way in on some songs for me. Um, the thing that was kind of debilitating is the fact that you know you're not learning a lot of int- in- intricate work with your left hand mm-hmm. on the piano, mind you. And uh, so growing up, I was listening to albums like uh, Billy, anything Billy Joel. My mom had it. Olivia Newton-John, because of my sister, she loved Olivia Newton-John. So I listened to John Farrar, I think his name is. Mm. He did the writing for Olivia Newton-John. Okay. First, that were truly hers. And uh, she covered a lot of other stuff. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, and then a lot of classical through my great aunts. Um, and all of that mixed together, I guess, is what feeded me to try to mix all of that together and make like a a new genre or something and i never thought about it in those terms as a kid but i thought you know i could i could do this and add this to it and it'll be mine Mm -hmm. and so i always tried to outdo what was already done and like add my own thing to it and uh but those were the beginning realms with that, when guitar set in, mm-hmm. uh, I was about nine years old, and and I started listening to back to oh gosh, my dad had me playing Tiny Bubbles, wow. in the, uh, <laughs> the the really cheesy classics is what my dad had me learning, and then I heard about this band called Motley Crue by the time I was thirteen, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. So I was playing uh, open tuning, but I learned how to play uh, uh, Motley Crue on an open tuning, meaning like the guitars are already in a chord um, it, when you're when you strum it open without hitting any frets. And uh, my friends hated that that I could play the same songs they were playing in bar chord fashion, but I was doing it in you know mm-hmm. opening. And uh, then I had to learn how to tune the guitar correctly. And uh, that took off into Meadowland. I learned, uh, and every time I played something by Motley Crue, I wanted something different. So I listened to Ozzy Osbourne. That led to Metallica, and that led to, you know, I started playing all this heavy stuff. <laughs> the older I got, that started fading away a little bit to the point that I got headaches quickly. 
and I was like, this this is a weird lifestyle. So we're gonna go back to some real music. And I guess I've always done that, dabbled mm-hmm. and everything. And then ended up back in uh, uh, real guitarists like uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Satriani and Steve Vai led me out of the metal phase into people like Michael Hedges, who is a uh, Wyndham Hill artist. It's uh, It was called New Age back then. I don't know what you call it now. And uh, they were just very creative musicians in the new a- in the new age field, which taught you no no limits in music at all. Just play whatever you feel. Then Bela Fleck and the Flecktones came in, which is a real intricate jazz band. And then I found Jellyfish, which is a mix of Queen and Beatles and and just awesome power pop music. And uh, I just so I love the 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 power that comes out of heavy metal. I love the craft that comes out of Beatles and Queen and Jellyfish music and the the sense of home and comfort in a Billy Joel song mixed with symphony that, like Chicago did early, they put symphony music into the songs that they were writing. And so my music has all of that collaborated into it, and it just, I love that. I love the there's no limit to doing something. Yeah, so it's always been kind of uh, just wherever you feel the winds of Kevin, I, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, it's just always been where that's taking you. Smell that too? Do what? Can you smell that too? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an Kevin? interesting odor. <laughs> but uh, me out of bed constantly for those. But music sounds like it's been a huge part of your life obviously now when exactly did the broadcasting interest uh, come in to play because I, I i think if i remember correctly on one of your shows one of your many many shows um you had mentioned before that whenever you were younger you looked uh, uh there's a particular duo of broadcasters you looked up to don geronimo and mike o'mara of the the don and mike show when mm-hmm. i was growing those are two that I listened to, gosh, since the age of 10, 11, 12. Uh-huh. And I also listened to The Grease Man on DC 101. And uh, The Grease Man, he, he had, it's too early in the morning for me to try it, but he would do like, hello. <laughs> what are you listening to today? I tell you what, this is Grease Man on DC 101. And his voice, it was, it was like riding a roller coaster. He had the most amazing voice. Uh-huh. And, would do these stories, these little uh, uh, vignettes, and, and in between playing music on DC 101, which was a rock station, and they were great. And he, it's old school where he would. They had cartridges you had to pull out and pop in other ones for sound effects back then. And and you, there's videos online if you ever want to see uh, the Grease Man uh, perform one of his many radio shows. And in one of his stories, and it, just the work that he did was a physical effort as, long, as well as a vocal effort. And uh, and I love those vignettes. Same thing with Don and Mike. Mike O'Mara is an incredible impressionist. And uh, I grew up listening to him. Just you'd hear a door open on the show and some superstar would walk in. And I couldn't tell the difference if it was Mike O'Mara or the real person until they started making fun of, you know, the impression started making fun of that person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought that was amazing. I said, I want to do that, you know, and that's where I got it from. Those Interesting. Two. So uh, was it tied into music necessarily or were the interest always kind of separate until a certain point? They, they were always separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I found out about podcasting, mm-hmm. I, I was listening to I, the first time I ever heard of podcasting. I had a Creative Zen, which was the MP3 player, the little tiny thing. I loved that thing. I used to have one of those too. It was great. It was a uh, the little mosaic. Uh-huh. That one. The it was a little tiny tiny thing, but um, and I was looking at it and I found the Zoom Marketplace and I was like, what the hell is this podcasting? Never heard of it. And uh, listen to it and i thought this seems like something i could do is it free yes uh, i can put it up wherever i want yes and and back then blip.tv was a website where you could post uh, mp3s for free and videos you would have to pay for account and until they realized that everybody was using it strictly for podcasting and not videos they shut the site down but mm. uh, that's where i hosted my first set of podcasts back in 2007 
and uh, and I loved it. It was just so neat to do a show for people I don't even know are listening. Yeah, and th- there's something really attractive about just the business model of it, which is it's all free, you know? Um, the only yeah. thing you devote is time, and there's something really attractive about that. Definitely, and, and the best feeling is if you get an email or, or somebody says something on Facebook or Twitter or Google+, um, they tell you that you, you made them feel what I felt when I was a kid listening to Grease Man and Don and Mike, the way I laughed my ass off. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they send me something telling me that it was funny and made the day better, makes their trip better, uh, all of that, it just that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, for sure. Like, know that I'm giving that, passing that feeling on to somebody else. Hmm. So you've been going for 10 years now, which is pretty nuts to think about in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, right? You've been going since the infancy of it. From from then to now, how has the landscape of it changed? Because, I mean, you, you've been doing it for a while, so. It's not as, uh, the, when I started out, there might have been, Golly, maybe about a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand uh-huh. podcasts on the planet, uh, and and these these uh, statistics could be wrong, <laughs> but uh, yeah, now there's like two point something billion podcasts out there. Uh, you type in any topic, and it's there. So it's to get your stuff heard is pretty hard because there's so many shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that's changed. Um, I've noticed that the the back in the infancy of podcasting, you had to use what you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, you can go out and get a podcasting kit with microphones, mixers, and all that for a very good price, either on Amazon or Guitar Center or wherever you want to do your shopping. Um, and I think that's good. I like that. A lot more people are doing it. I love the fact that it's still free, although they tried to uh, make – I forgot what happened there. Uh, my buddy Ferg knows a lot more about this than I do, but there was a small period of time where the where Congress was debating whether or not they should make money off of us. Oh wow! And a whole bunch of petition signing and a whole bunch of uh, freedom of speech, and uh, uh, a whole bunch of other goodies came into play. And everybody's like, "All right, let them have their fun," and they left us alone, which is good. I don't see how a I don't see how you could structure a business model properly on podcasting, especially considering how long it's been free. At this point, it almost seems like it'd be pretty futile to even try that. You know, resistance is futile too. Yes, indeed. I agree. It's a uh, and it's it was just the government's way, I guess, of making money. Yeah, people who are. You know, it'd be like going up to joggers and going, "You've been jogging around neighborhoods for free long enough. We're putting a little thing on your." foot and we're going to charge you a penny per step i'm movement tax yeah movement tax <laughs> the sweat tax too because your biological goo is falling on our planet and i think that's you know it spawn more humans so that's Bio- biological goo <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. that's a that's a cool band name <laughs> that would be an awesome band right considering how different the marketplace and the podcasting uh, you know seascape really is now compared to how it was whenever you first started how has that affected the process of putting out your shows if it has at all oh oh, oh, oh. when I started it wasn't as easy as it is now mm-hmm. stack them on top of each other with the uh Influence of uh, archive.org, which I love, archive.org. Everything is is a free uh, service to download, to upload, to host. It's awesome. And uh, so that helped a lot. And with the help of WordPress.com, I've been able to have close to, close to 20 shows um, over the years. I mean, they're not currently updated as much as I'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to work for a living, and this is initially it's a, it's a hobby. It's mm-hmm. not a job. Uh, eventually, I wouldn't mind making money at it, but I think I'll wait for retirement. Right. Which is only 20-something years away. <laughs> 
I mean, what what better way to write out your golden years though than to to sit there and shoot the shit with your friends online? If I make it, you know, hey, I could walk outside and be hit by a whale from the lake. <laughs> from uh-uh. the lake. <laughs> but I could accidentally slip because this lake is all icy and slide across the lake into the street on the other side of the lake and get hit by a car. Um, the the bottom line is, yes, it's so much easier now, and that makes it so much easier to pop out a new idea whenever I get a chance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's what I like, the... The, the immediacy the, of the art form. The immediacy and the, and the unlimited stupid ideas to make shows about stuff. Mm-hmm. I do a podcast on whiteboards and different sizes. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to draw a small picture, there's a three by four inch. Or if you want to make a huge one, and if you don't like it, erase it. You know, <laughs> that's the beauty of the whiteboard. And tomorrow, <laughs> that's the beauty of the whiteboard. And tomorrow, we're going to talk about eight by tens. It's Newman. So make sure to bring your expos and your erasers. It's going to be a crazy party. Um, inspired by bulletin board. Mm. Uh, so naturally, I imagine that's influenced the way you compose music as well, because you really started back in the days of analog recording, right? Yeah. How? I, I bet it's radically different. I, I mean, obviously, I can't speak from experience. Being as young as I am, uh, whenever the thought of even recording music came into my mind, uh, I was, you know, at the Windows XP era, so the rush of yeah like the rush of tech was already on its way to make that job easier so i never got to experience analog editing of any kind How, how's that different when i was growing up when yeah. i was your, at 21 years old my aunts gave me six thousand dollars that they had saved up since my birth i'm doing the same thing for my grandkids as a matter of fact Ooh. And, uh it, six grand is what i it became when i was 21 and we were allowed to get the money and in the notes that all of the kids got, it said, "Do use this money for your future." Um, I'm guessing it was meant to be like to help out with college and something, but no, I took it straight to the music place. <laughs> Picked up my first keyboard, which was a Kawai K4 synth. Um, I bought an Elisa's drum machine, which I still have, uh, and I got an MMT8 MIDI controller for the keyboard, which recorded eight. And I was by Lisa's as well. Eight channels via MIDI. So, I mean, my technology was kind of way ahead of those in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And, and even 70s, because this is uh, early. Well, this would have been 1991, excuse me, and even the 80s. So, and then I had to buy, there wasn't any digital recording at that point. Um, you went straight into an Apple II or an Apple IIe. And uh, that was the initial dawn of, you know, uh, computer recording, mm-hmm. but not yet. Um, at least with me, I couldn't afford it. So <laughs> I had what was called the task camp 488. And, uh, and then eventually I got the 488 Mark two and what they were, were 16 channel, eight channel and 16 channel recorders that you put on cassette and up to eight channels. The, the, the what would it be the generations like you record the first thing by the time you're recording the eighth channel that first thing is starting to drown back a little bit because it's only a you know set right eyes you know and uh so that's what i would do i record something and then onto the mmt8 and then pop that onto two tracks in stereo so that's two used up, and then the next one would be for bass, although I did everything stereo. I don't know why. That was kind of stupid. Um, and then, so three and four were strictly bass, five and six were left and right guitars, and seven and eight were my vocals. Pardon me one second. <coughs> and that's how I recorded in the beginning. Everything was strictly to cassette. Then I take the cassette, and I would back it up onto what was called a digital audio tape to make CDs from that. I take it down to Q Recording Studios, where Michael Jackson recorded parts of his Bad album. Interesting. Yeah, uh, down in Falls Church, Virginia. And uh, he also recorded parts of another album. 
but I can't remember what came after bad. I think he recorded parts of black and white in there. But anyway. So that's where I went. I went down there. I would make uh, duplications of cassettes and then make like two CDs, which cost a mint back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would store them and hide them from the world so that they wouldn't get lost. And uh, I still have those today. And all of that changed slowly into recording strictly into the uh, computer. I got a 16-channel digital hard drive recorder. And it's just amazing. Am I giving too long the answers? No, not at all. Keep on. Like it, It's interesting because what, what I'm probably going to end up doing with this show, because I'm not really asking the questions in any kind of order, um, I'm just gonna t- I'm gonna kind of develop like strings of conversation out of all of it and just kind of restructure it a little bit. So just yeah. just go away. Just keep on. It's it's okay. interesting. Uh, and then I got digital recording uh, under my foot, and that was probably about around 2002, uh, which means I would have been about 32 years old. Mm. And it's expensive, and uh, and it just slowly you had to start tethering things to things, <laughs> which was. <laughs> Which was weird. Like, it had to plug in the keyboard into the back of a mixing board, which was weird to me, and then plug that into the computer. In my opinion, the old way of recording is better because the sound was richer, even though it was on cassette compared to out of a computer. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that uh, you get a richer sound, bass, treble, body, and and stereo even, out of a record or a cassette tape than you would in a computer. There's 5.1 surround sound, which is all hunky-dory and great, but you're losing a lot of high-end and a lot of low-end, the richness of it, because it's not an analog sound, not a true sound. It's a digital compressed sound, mm-hmm. and uh, so you lose a lot. And, uh, that's a That's a shame. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. You're not the first musician I've talked to who feels very strongly about that. Uh, A good friend of mine, um, actually, a few years ago, put out two albums back-to-back in a two-year time span that he recorded strictly on tape. And uh, he was trying to point it out to me, and he basically said what you said, but... um, I understand film speak a little bit better, and I guess the best comparison point would be uh, Quentin Tarantino's argument that recording on film versus digital it produces like a much uh, more warm tone to the colors, and you know it's it's a more cinematic look and feel. I, I, yeah, yeah, I guess it's kind of similar, you know, same basic point. But um, Hershey's versus Balmer chocolates. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um. So yeah. you, you basically work in an exclusively digital space now, though, right? Or do yes, you I, occasionally do analog? I would if I had the equipment here. All of that's still down in Virginia, where my sister lives, because there's a lot of equipment. And we live in this little tiny shack on a hill in the middle of Nairobi. And it's hard to get a analog piece of equipment up here. We have a one... It's We live on a lake in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, pardon me. Please take that out. That's not <laughs> where we live. And there's really no room. Uh, we have just one huge room, but we have French doors and French windows that lead out to a giant lake and, and still and hasn't made me feel cramped. Even though I need my equipment, I'm going nuts without it. But, uh, yeah, I'm mostly digital. Nice. Uh, you know what would be easy if I just answered yes? <laughs> no. No, uh... You know, that reminds me, did you listen to that Jerry Lewis interview that came out recently? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. It could just be that. Do you know why? Because that dork, what, before I go further, what did you think of it? What was your opinion? Uh, well, you know, I, I kind of listened to several different angles on it. Like some people were kind of bashing him for it and other people were kind of bashing the interviewer for it. Right. I think uh, I think he's just a 90 year old that really wasn't filling that interview that day, and right. uh, that kid was asking some pretty clumsy questions anyway. It wasn't a well structured interview, you know. No, and he didn't fit. He, you could tell that he didn't care either. Yeah. Because his first question was like, "Being old, do you find it hard to be old and be acting?" That's a smack in the face to a king like Jerry Lewis. Yeah, and considering he's trying to work on a comeback, that's probably the last thing he wants to hear right now. Well, he he doesn't have to be on a uh, comeback. Yeah, 
he's already back, but it, he's always been there. Mm-hmm. But he's getting older. But this guy just reamed him for being old and then enjoyed just ruining any question that came after. It was such – it was so bad. At one point you see him look over – at either the window or his cohort and like you believe this crap yeah and but you know the person paid for seven minutes of his probably ten minutes of his time and gave up after seven mm-hmm. anyway i i thought he was extremely rude but jerry is 90 he's crabby and he's old yeah and, but still if you're gonna take his time make it worth it because it was it, funny though i'm not gonna lie i laughed pretty hard <laughs> yeah um, okay, so what was the last question I asked? You asked about the analog to digital, and then you asked uh, my equipment. Um, I'm strictly digital. Yes, okay. <clears throat> I got a few more band questions, and then we'll dive back into some podcasting questions and kind of go from there. I might ask you some personal stuff. I'm still debating on some of that. Anything you want. Okay. Mm, oh, anything? Anything. Oh. <clears throat> Eight inches. Oh, shit. Next question. <laughs> so, how um, do you have you always done mostly solo stuff whenever it comes to music, or were you ever at any point in any kind of bands or musical groups? Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> the the band thing was fun, uh, but it it didn't not like it didn't go anywhere. I had a huge, huge anxiety about playing live. I wish I didn't. To this day, I wish I didn't. But I would freak out and freeze. Uh, the most I've ever done. I mean, I played at a, a club called Jack's in 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 uh, Springfield, I think it was, Virginia, and uh, I played in a place called Nick's. I think that was in Baltimore. Interesting. Maryland, and then different parties. You know, we were hired to play at parties in different bands. Um, I stood on uh, amphitheaters. I've been up to CBGBs. Uh, stood on stage with Steve Vai. Really? Jeff. Yeah, I'll tell you about that in a second. Boy, that really ticked off a lot of my friends. Um, but uh, the fear of of success I think was just too big mm-hmm. and it was like should I do this with my life you know will I run out of ideas will the music suck if I'm paid for it which is why all my albums are free mm-hmm. can't imagine getting paid for giving music um, and there's a little bit of a religious thing to that too mm-hmm. uh, sort of like selling your soul out there's a little slight thing on that with me for some reason no, I get I, that I get that I can I can really appreciate that and uh I, that would get addictive after a while, and then all of a sudden you end up like Jerry Lewis. You just don't want to do anything unless you get paid well for it. Yeah, you don't want to ever feel jaded about something you enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> pardon. But playing in bands, yes, uh, the cool bands. Like I was in a band called Warlock at 13. I played drums. Ooh. And, uh, that was fun. A lot of Motley Crue music with that. Uh, in a band called uh, Mystery of Life, which was named by a drummer that I had been in more bands with and am still very close friends with, uh, Clyde Rosaba. And, uh, the name of the band came from Clyde enjoying a good beer. Uh, Clyde Rosaba is, uh, he's from the Philippines and he had the coolest accent and he was cool cause he had long hair and just permanent tan and just women <laughs> loved him. And, uh, so, but he was sitting there with a beer one day, and he goes, Oh, sweet mystery of life, I have found you. And we all looked at each other like, That's the name of the band. <laughs> mystery of life. <laughs> and uh, and that was the longest-running band, and we did uh, quite a bit of music with that. Uh, NAR, No Assembly Required, was another band. Um, and I, I loved being in bands. I miss playing in bands very much. Uh, but ninety percent of the stuff I've done, uh, completely solo work. Do Do you prefer solo work, or is it just the anxiety kind of kept you from chasing the band thing further? Uh, I think it's it's easier doing solo work because I'm the one I'm working with, and what mm. I need is is all right there. Um, if it's in a band, it's kind of hard. Uh, 
to relay what you want or it's played differently and you actually let that go because of the fact that you want them to be um, uh, free to add their own taste to a song that you're working on. Right. I think that's very important as well. Um, musicians should be able to talk to each other. Uh, the best bassist I've ever played with is my brother, Andrew. He's uh, he's my stepbrother. He plays beautiful bass and we could just sit there and look at each other and know exactly what to do. That's awesome. And that's what I loved about Clyde, Rosapa, myself, and Andrew, is that we would all sit there and just look at each other and start playing and know exactly where it's going by just musically speaking with each other. And I think that's so important. So it's it's hard to find that. I, I rarely found that with other people. My buddy Mike Groshan and I, we had that playing together. My buddy Tommy, Tommy Sims and I, which we were not in many bands together, but uh, he went on to become something big. He was in a band called Thicker Than Water. They played everywhere. Um, and uh, he and I grew up together musically in high respect. If I write a song and I really like it, but I'm not sure, I send it to him for mm-hmm. evaluation. So that's uh, <laughs> next with uh, Tommy Sims. That's cool. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nope, that's it. Oh, okay. Uh, do you still collaborate from time to time? Because I've heard some covers you've done w- with like guest spots in the yeah. past. I try to. There's two people right now that um, asked me to do something, and it's it's starting to become a problem, which we can get into in the personal questions. But it's it's becoming a problem lately to mm. get things done. What took me... I used to be able to write two to three songs a day, and now it's pumped down to one song every two months, if I'm lucky, unless it's an emergency for something. Mm-hmm. And throws something together, which I think is half-assed, and then someone's like, oh, great! And I'm like, thank God you like it. <laughs> I probably could have done much better if I actually spent more time on it. Okay, so uh, between podcasting and music, because I know you're pretty in-depth with both, which one seems to take more precedent lately? Like, I I know um, you've been slowing your roll a little bit on producing music, so... Uh, It'll have to be podcasting. Podcasting has been a place where I can actually throw in a little bit of music here and there. Mm -hmm. It's like 30, 30 seconds for an opener for a podcast. Maybe that's why there's so many podcasts, because I just like to write the openers and the segment pieces. Right, like you're still flexing that same muscle. It's just, yeah. But the uh, the music is something that I'm desperately wanting to get back into. There's a, a set of Zerbatron albums that I put out where each season is covered from 1980 to 1989, and the only one I haven't finished is Spring. And spring is coming up, and I really want to have it done this year because the last two years I've flaked on it. And uh, so I've got, like, one song completed and nine more to go. And it's taken me forever. Even this past Christmas, every Christmas I try to do a Christmas album, and I just couldn't get to it. Mm-hmm. So, but to answer your question, podcasting is taking precedence over it, and, uh, and I love it. And, you know, that's so much... It's so much work, but it's a lot easier than writing music nowadays. Out, out of uh, the kind of segue into some more uh, personal questions, I guess. Sure. Hang on, I'm sorry, my phone was blowing up for a second. <clears throat> okay, what exactly are you trying to say with your music and podcasts? Because your podcasts uh, are, it's you seem to have a different theme for every show and each one kind of feels like a piece of your personality and in a big way, your music kind of feels similar too. Is there anything in particular you're trying to like push out there, like a message? I'm trying to tell, um, I won't make a funny answer. Hold on. Um, I have no clue what the hell I'm trying to say in all honesty. I think what I'm doing is just showing different shades of, uh, the soul in music or in podcasting, maybe. Um, with podcasting, I really just want to be what we discussed earlier, the, the funny goof so that people have something to smile about when, when there really isn't much to smile about. You mm-hmm. know, if you are a, a very happy person and fine with everything, then you don't really have to listen to a show, but I hope you would. You know, it'll make you smile more. Uh, with music, I always wanted to try to find that 
mystical realm of wisdom and 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 bestow that on people and it's the older you get you realize your wisdom isn't really worth the pile of crud that uh <laughs> your trains um everybody has wisdom it's just a matter of them finding it uh, so nowadays it's more of the melodic adventure you can have. I've, I've resorted to doing instrumentals a lot more than like writing songs with lyrics, although I would really like to do a full lyrical album again, but, um, so more it's, it's just, uh, shapes of creativity, which I think is important. Something that keeps the mind busy while you're listening to it, while you're enjoying the song. Yeah. One thing I really appreciate about your podcast, to kind of go back to what you were saying a second ago about it sort of being your buddy that lifts your spirits whenever you're having a rough day, even though you come off very goofy and, you know, um, your shows tend to get sort of, and I don't mean this in any negative way, but there are a lot of skits, you know, uh, there's a lot of just goofy buddy comedy going on. You're also very candid and very personal, which is something I always really appreciated because you do get this sense of, okay, Kevin's my buddy and I'm sitting here talking to him or, you know, listening to a good conversation. It definitely brings about that vibe. Um, like, yeah. for, for example, and if this is a little too personal, we don't have to dive too into it. You're very, like, open about your situation with MS. And yep. uh, things along those lines, which is refreshing um, because a, a lot of podcasters I've heard, particularly um, non-famous ones, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, tend to get very showy, you know, kind of kind of bullshitty with their front. Does that? Do you ever feel uncomfortable before you put something out like that? I do because of the. the and you're talking about referring to MS. Uh, and, yeah, anything with MS. Uh, you're also just very candid in general on yeah. on your shows, so. Um, I like to have it out there mostly to cover my own ass when I have speech impediment problems. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of an answer to a question, or you know, if I'm if I'm uh, absent-minded or something, I feel that I should give that excuse because, and it's it's a stupid way to think, but I don't want people thinking I'm a dunce. Mm. I don't feel I am uh, sometimes, oh. like of course, like anybody else, but. The the uh, the excuse is is that there's a lot of uh, a lot of barriers that come with multiple sclerosis, of course, and uh, and I feel that it's it's something that a lot of people should learn in case they know somebody or them themselves have it, mm-hmm. and to know that it's okay to have it. I always look at it the way Richard Pryor looked at it, where it's like a gift instead of a hindrance. Because of the fact that for him it made him slow down. For me, it kind of did too. Because I was, my head was getting stuffed with. Um, I don't think if I if I didn't. I hope this isn't true. But I think if I didn't have MS, I probably wouldn't be so apt. I would be more Jerry Lewis than Kevin Zerby. You know what I mean? Right. So, I don't want to be the cocky guy, which I, when I listened back to myself recording journals and stuff at age 25 or something, I thought I was Mr. Big, big shit on the block. That's stupid. You can't, you know, it's just a cocky, jerky, dorky, dork. Didn't like it. Um, MS makes you slow down and take a look at yourself, which is good because a lot of people need to do that, whether you have something or not. And it taught me to, I'll use Richard Pryor's words. It taught me to slow down and smell the roses, take things in, um, it, look at your surroundings and realize this is what you are, this is what you've got, mm-hmm. and, you know, and be so thankful for what you've got. And if it's a little, enjoy it. If it's a lot, enjoy it and share it, you know, those kinds of things. So to answer your question, yes. <laughs> um. That's that's honestly a pretty beautiful way to approach it. Um, how does how does that affect your creative output? Well, that's the problem. Um, uh-huh. It takes away sometimes. Sometimes it gives back. Uh, depends on what meds I'm on that day. Um, I've been having a lot of issues trying to get med- medication straight, and that's the hardest part. Uh, but it it does. It's it's like the creativity is there, yelling at me to do something, and then some days you just don't feel like it because you don't have the energy, or the uh, and and since multiple sclerosis affects the mind and the spine and all that, 
um, it seems to be like a uh, big cement block sometimes when you want to like play the piano for the day and then there's this big block on it no matter how hard you try to go at it you get more frustrated and then you start getting the thoughts like maybe you suck and you should quit so instead of going through all that depressive thinking and all of that struggle i just don't bother that day but unfortunately if you let that muscle relax all of a sudden every day becomes that day and you haven't done anything in a while hence uh i haven't podcasted since uh Gosh, uh, around Christmas time, I recorded my last podcast, and I have I have four of them I haven't edited yet. Mm. Um, three because one of them is one with you that we're going to restructure. Yes. But, uh, yeah, and it's driving me nuts. But the funny thing is, is today at three o'clock, I have an appointment to reevaluate how and when the meds are taken and what they are too. So hopefully that'll kick in some freedom of this mind-boggling burn down uh and uh if our interview was at a different time it might be a whole different answer but that's what it's doing now it's just like putting a damper on it right but i i'm still optimistic i know it'll be back it, it could be anything from the time of day to the season to the the air the whatever what i'm drinking what i'm eating it you know it's how you take care of yourself too right well, I, I've got to say, you you definitely have a refreshing outlook on something like that because I know some people who, in your situation who have uh, <clears throat> have grown very negative or even bitter with, with just their outlook in general. And I really appreciate how refreshing your uh, introspection is here, um, in particularly <clears throat> in particular to just how uh, how positive you still seem to be. Yeah, I mean, you're incredibly upbeat, and that kind of attitude really comes off in your art and I, I think that's one of the main reasons why i appreciate your output so much well, thank but, you very much man oh, you're welcome uh, do you feel like just flexing that creative muscle kind of helps work out some of the kinks whenever you're having a kind of a rough day oh yeah there's there's uh if i'm really having a rough day i've gone as far it's a terrible thing to do this is something else i need to talk to a therapist about <laughs> where is he going now folks uh, <laughs> the laugh you know the get well soon balloons? I tie them to dead deer on the side of the road. Oh, well. <laughs> Makes me feel better. No, uh, what I do is I found myself like, uh, here's an instance. This There's this neighbor to one of the homes I deliver to. I deliver uh, prescriptions at night. Um, the lady was out front of her home. And uh, she had just put up Christmas lights that played Christmas music. And she, I don't know if she felt a little nervous about the sounds that were coming out of it because it's the old dingy sound, you know, ding, 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 with no, no harmony or, you know, structure to it. It's just a melody that's playing at a high pitch and it's going to get on people's nerves eventually. Yeah. And she, and she looked a little uncomfortable putting it up, at least to me. So I went over. Now here's an example of, of something I need to stop doing. I told her, I said, you know, my, my dad, he passed away in 2009 of cancer, which is true. And he had exact same Christmas lights set up. And if you hadn't put this up, I wouldn't have thought of him. Thank you so much. Untrue, 100%. Really? But it made her feel so good. Yeah. And I find myself doing little things like that, making up stories to make people happy. And I got to stop doing that because I'm going to be caught in my own lies. But what's interesting is that you're using it for that effect, because most people would probably, you know, just try to rip somebody off or get her to take down the Christmas lights. It, it's kind of fascinating, even but though it, it's a, it's an artistic move for me to do this so that they appreciate me. Am I looking for, you know, a void you filled? Or Any what? creative person that tells me they're not not a little narcissistic, they're full of shit. <laughs> like yeah. I've. I've never met an artist who didn't look for some sense of self-gratification from what they do. That is true. I try to get a lot of you know people, do you like it? Really? I didn't know anybody liked it. Bullshit. I knew everybody liked it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. fishing for the compliments. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, really. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So to kind of wrap some things up a little bit, uh, what are some things people can expect from you going forward in the future? A lot of stupid jokes. 
like uh, what? Why are butt cracks going up and down instead of sideways? Yeah, what the fuck? Well, it's because if you go down a slide, you don't want to hear. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, the, a lot of uh, more podcasts. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, hopefully more music and. Uh, and what I would love to do is get back into a MS podcast. I was doing one called No Compromise. It's been compromised. I haven't touched that show in over a year and a half. Uh, there's a friend that I have at the doctor's office who she has MS and her sense of humor is just like mine. When I go to make an appointment, we've gotten in the habit of, especially when the waiting room is full because it's just hilarious. I'll walk in and I'll go, hi. And then she goes, hi, Kevin. Do you want to make an appointment today? <laughs> <laughs> and people look up from their eyes. Some laugh, but it's just it's just a reaction. We try to be as serious as possible. But talk like this. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. We die every single time when I finally get in the door and turn the corner. Her face is red, and I'm dying laughing. Hi, Mr. Zerby. But uh, she has MS, and, and I would love to have her on the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just make it, you know, a funny show. I want to make it fun kind of thing. And that's the big thing I want to do. I also want to do a show called My Generation. Have you heard of this? Uh, I might have, but why don't you go ahead and drop dime anyway? <laughs> uh, it's a show that I'm doing with my buddy Jeff DeMarco. No relation to you. No, he's Oh, he's that's good. And what we're going to do is discuss the differences in generational you know, the generation gap between you and, and your age, me and my age, and then people above us and people below us. Even trying to interview, like, my granddaughter, who's five, all the way up to uh, a person I care for. Uh, she's turning 70. Um, interviews with elderly people down to young kids about the same topic per show. And yeah. same thing. And I think that would be an awesome show. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually getting that off the ground, which uh, you had mentioned it earlier where we had attempted one episode already, but you had the wise decision to restructure it and try something a little different, which I'm excited about. Yeah, me too, because I don't want it to be... I've gotten in a bad habit of doing shows where you do the news, movies, music, and uh, it's like an easy go-to for segments, and this show has more value to have a serious conversation than a than a uh, just going off topics. Mm-hmm. One topic would be great. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about that, too, because I was dwelling on some ideas for topics, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into that some other time, I guess. Uh, you guys hear the show out <laughs> a land. You'll know. Yes. yes. Then, see. <laughs> then you'll see. You'll all see. You'll all see. Yeah. So you've got how many continuing podcasts going on currently? Three? I would say four if you can include our uh, um, our show that we're about to begin again. Mm-hmm. Five if I get back into 80 to 89, which I've really let slide again. It always does that towards winter anyway. But yes, please stand by. Pastor and the Pappy, uh, Pretentious Podcast. And soon, my generation, those will be the four that will continue onward. Nice. And uh, not only, I'm sorry, hang on. <clears throat> Let me start over. And where can people find those? Oh, everything you need in the music and the podcast, everything at zerbinator.wordpress.com. Which I love your site, by the way. It, uh, you actually are the one who turned me on to using WordPress for my site, which I owe you a lot of kudos for because it's a pretty flexible and easy-to-use platform. It's free! I know. It's so easy to use. You can do so much with the freeness. <laughs> the freeness is everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, man, for sitting down. And uh, I'll try to chop this up real nice. That way it doesn't sound too clumsy on my end or anything. I trust you. I, I'm sure you're going to do wonders. All right. Hang on. I'm going to go ahead and kill the recording. Oh, wait, I want to say something nice. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Ooh. Okay. <clears throat> so closing thoughts? My closing thought is this, Jeff. The one thing that I really like about you is not the fact that you're much younger and have more hair than me. Thank, but thank the you. Fact that, no, you're very receptive to a lot of uh, very... Let me say that again. 
you're very receptive to people's emotions, thoughts, and beliefs, and just the way that people are. And I really appreciate that about you. You've gotten, you've got a heart of, of understanding and compassion for any situation or any conversation. And that's what I love. You look at it through the whole gamut of responsibility. If you're going to come to a conclusion on somebody's thoughts or somebody's existence, even. And that's one thing that makes me proud to call you my son, which is something I think we used to joke around in the very beginning of our relationship. But, uh, yeah, I truly, you will always be my honorary son. And I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. Like, um, I, it actually means a lot to hear that. Cause that is something I definitely strive to do is try to maintain a sense of nuance and balance as often as possible whenever, you know, assessing any situation. So thank you very much for those kind words. And, uh, yeah, the sun thing did start off as kind of a weird, creepy joke <laughs> at first, <laughs> but uh, it, it legitimately means a lot to me. So I, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you coming on and taking me under your wing. and Interviewing me, too. I really enjoyed it. Makes the quiet. a little pig. Walk around going, hey, I interviewed this morning. Yeah, right, right. You're nope. the Qui-Gon Jinn to my Obi-Wan, man. That's right. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, and hopefully I can have you on again sometime. And uh, quick question before I uh, kill the recording. Do you have any track ideas for a song you would like to put at the end of this? Ooh, wow, i got to pick one. It'll have to be, I'll have the go-to, and, uh, and uh, it's seven twelve seventy. It was a song I actually wrote for my birth. <laughs> <laughs> Most narcissistic song I've ever written. I love it, though. It's concurrent with the theme of the interview itself. So, Yeah, I figured that would be a good choice. Yeah. Right on, man. <laughs> All right. And once again, yet another episode comes to a close. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, because he's a great guy to talk to. Again, if you like it, if you find anything he said interesting check out his website please support this guy Tanya, his music's great i'm about to play a track for you now the track he was speaking of towards the end 1270 again don't forget to support him by going to his website and if you like the shit i'm doing or this podcast don't forget to support it by going to the radio grindhouse radio soundcloud i can't talk right now i'm too tired i just edited two podcasts back to back so i'm a little Anyway, um, don't forget to check out the Grindhouse Radio SoundCloud page, which is at soundcloud.com slash grindhouseradio, and my website, jefftomarco.wordpress.com, for all my shows and anything else I find myself half-assing. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump in to the featured track, 1270. I hope you enjoy.